Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. In case you hadn't noticed, Davy Russell is back, Neil Channing. He's made yeah. the comeback. I know. It's a, I can't, With Jack know. Kennedy injured. What kind of price could Answer you have got call. the day he retired on him to kind of, you know, win, win a race at Cheltenham this year or something? That would have been a quite a good uh, coup, wouldn't it, really? Well, well some who know him, Paige, so would say that it was never that big a price that he, that he was going to come back. Were you surprised or not? Uh, well, uh, as in when he retired, mm. it was... Um, oh, look, I, you know, I personally haven't really, you know, I don't, I don't particularly know him, so I couldn't comment from a personal side, but look, it's... I think it's great for Gordon Elliott that he's got someone that he can he can trust. Not that he wouldn't trust the young lads, but actually, I remember Luke was saying something yesterday about you know when you're a young lad getting put on a stage, if it goes wrong, that could be your career over. Mm. Um, so at least Gordon and the whole team know that going into Cheltenham, they have someone that they know and the owners know, and and that's really important. Yeah, and and owner power now is probably more more significant than it's ever been. Uh, Jane, what did you make of it when you heard he was? He was coming out of retirement. I'm surprised he went into retirement. I'm not remotely surprised he's come out of it. <laughs> <laughs> because that's, that's him. That's the, yeah, that's, that's the man. I'd, I'd be surprised if he's not here next year. Mm. I mean, that's going to be the, the question. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the question is, when is he going to retire a second time? <laughs> mm. um, I'd be surprised if it's soon. But I, I got the feeling from it that he was literally just going to do it until Jack came back. But you, you think he might? <laughs> you don't think so? I don't know, but yeah. I, I, I don't know him either. A few so jockeys have done it, haven't yeah. they? You know, Leighton Aspel. Yeah. I know they were a bit younger at the yeah, time, yeah. but yeah. you know, those are jockeys do it, don't they? And you know, maybe he comes back with a different mindset and goes, actually, I couldn't. Yeah. But you never know, do you? Well, jockeys who've retired, Leighton Aspel came back and won two Grand Nationals. Ryan Matthews <laughs> came back, won on about his last 11 rides. Jamie Spencer retired. People forget about that. He yeah. didn't take too long to come back. I think he'd go and have a quick bit on the Tory for the 25 Derby. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd say this might definitely be his, his swan song. He's going well as well in California. He's not far off being leading rider at Santa Anita at the moment. There was an attendance uplift over Christmas. There was all doom and gloom, really, until November. Attendances has been, had been broadly down apart from the very big festivals across the board between Christmas and New Year you all went racing there mm. was a massive uplift on 2019 which is the last genuine metric that you could use do you do you have any idea why that might be Neil so it was 14% down up to the November I think yeah. was the figure uh, from the period in 2019 the pre-COVID that they felt that was a reasonable thing to measure it against I, I did see like Huntingdon and I think it was Market Raisin had like 25% increases on their Boxing Day fixtures and um, I mean I, I, I think you know there's been talk hasn't there that uh, Gold Cup sales they're getting a lot more interest, Ascot say that lots of people are inquiring about membership. Uh, Lingfield have done a, a, a nice offer for their big festival. Mm -hmm. Where you get uh, you get two of the three days, don't you, for a tenner or something? I can't remember exactly, but that seems to be going very well. I think it's localized stuff like that, isn't it? Where people have really pushed mm. a specific thing rather than a general uptick. I mean, obviously, the cost of living crisis has 
a large part of but why. People, but people still want to go out and do things, don't oh, they? You mm, can't say that. The toxeter on uh, New Year's Eve was, I couldn't even get in myself. I couldn't get, I had to go really? in through the back, yeah. through where the horses are. I've never seen so many people. But do you think uh, that the thing, the thing that's happening maybe, because racing, in terms of the numbers of people that go racing, a lot of it is the same people go lots and lots of times over the year. Do you think people are going less times but they're going to the they're picking and choosing the ones they go to and they, so the bigger meetings the boxing days the bank holidays are, are getting the crowds maybe maybe i thought the people at at uh you talk to and exeter the following day were they thought not people that went racing that often they were sort of i don't know i just thought they, they were just having a great time it was a lot of young people i noticed it was at holidays, school holidays. It's nice to think if it was school holidays and stuff that young people are going, and then if you can capture them, maybe yeah. then they'll start feeling mm -hmm. back out again. But yeah, it was, but it was it great. Was it was great. It was great to yeah, go when brilliant. the whole places were buzzing. It was wonderful. Was sold out. Yeah, well, your toxin yeah. was sold out. Yeah. And, and let's face yeah. it, the weather wasn't always great. Yeah, it was nice no. on Boxing Day, but <laughs> after that, it was been, it's been pretty horrible. So. <laughs> yeah. oh, is there great. some encouragement out there? It looks as though there might be bucking the trend. Now, Jane. You are now training for quite a few syndicates. You mm -hmm. want your owners on the on mm -hmm. the track. Mm -hmm. You're finding it quite tricky at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting. We have um, two syndicates in our yard: our own racing club and Chasing Gold. And you know, and these are these are businesses. Um, the ownership groups are, are growing, and they're and I think that is the future of racing. It's get, getting much more expensive, I suppose, as everything is, and we need syndicates. But um, the people that run those two f in the yard are, are struggling to get the badges that they need. And actually, our own racing club, um, Martin Booth, does works incredibly hard to get enough badges. But if we sell um, a, a horse with ten shares, you know, we need some badges to go racing. And I don't really think it's really right that they should have a pallet to see who can get a badge to have a lunch at a race course. We've got somehow or another, we've got to factor this in and be able to get all our owners to have a good day out when their horse runs. And so how many would be in one of your syndicates, generally? Uh, well, I suppose every syndicate has 10 shares of 10%, so you've got 10, but then I mean, nobody wants to go racing on their own, do they? So then you've got sort of 20 people that could be going. Okay, that's rare that everybody turns up. Um, but we just, I, I think that at the moment they're limited to eight for a, uh, a syndicate. And it just isn't enough. Mm. So somehow we need to find a way of making mm. sure that every owner has actually got a way of having a, an inexpensive but nice lunch and get in. It makes sense, doesn't it? Totally. And like if, you know, if you have the big meetings that we're saying are sold out and that, you know, that is very much specified that, you know, you're limited. But we're moaning about people not going to midweek races, yet they can't even get a lunch for going and supporting the sport. It does seem a bit backwards, but... It's for the, it's for the owners, that they're paying their training fee or their, you know, their whatever, syndicate membership fee every month. And the odd occasion their horse actually runs, they want to go with everybody else in that syndicate, because all of us sort of tend to know each other, because they're small syndicates. Yeah. Um, and they just want to go and sit down at a table and yeah. have a meal together. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does make perfect sense. There's got to be more flex. Um, certainly the Jockey Club Chief Executive, Nevin Truesdale, promised me a few weeks ago that they were going to take a much more intuitive approach to syndicates, and fingers crossed that's replicated across the mm. industry. Now, we need the owners, of course we do. We need money to be bet on the sport as well, Neil Channing, something that has been threatened significantly. We've talked about affordability checks so much on this show 
over the last couple of years. Where are we at at the moment with the gambling review? Uh, well, I t I d where we're at with it, um, somebody said to me the other day that the DCMS are, are getting a bit waylaid. They've, they've had a lot of trouble with this online harms bill. It's taking up a lot of their time. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, apparently, the DCMS are in charge of uh, the coronation. Uh, and they're only a small department, the coronation's in June, uh, and that might actually hold up the white paper. But putting that aside, um, we had ARC saying recently that 800 million uh, less was going to be gambled on horse racing because of affordability checks, mm -hmm. uh, which have already come in, you know. I mean, and that would turn into a £40 million pound shortfall exactly. for, the, for the financing of and, the sport. And horse racing, roughly speaking, gets about somewhere in the region of 260 million uh, funding for the sport. So 40 million is, is about 15%. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, we had some figures this week, 888 William Hill uh, gave their, their figures and, and uh, online revenues were down 15%. So that would suggest that Martin Crudders uh, of ARC's figures uh, of, of uh, 40 million, 800 million turnover, 40 million money to racing, was not an exaggeration that it, that that seems to be borne out. Now you can't say for sure that the reason that 888 and and Hills uh, numbers are down 15% is purely affordability. Uh, it could be a little bit to do with the cost of living crisis as mm -hmm. well. But it's certainly a, a fact mm -hmm. that you know bigger staking punters are having to go through affordability checks. Uh, anecdotally, the companies say that 90% of people won't comply with them. Uh, and, you know, they're not, now not seeing the turnover. We also had figures this week from Bet365. Uh, Kindred had, uh, that's uh, um, Uni Unibet and uh, uh, 32 Red. Mm -hmm. They had quite bad figures out this week. Um, you know, it does look like it's having a huge effect already, and it's going to affect the sport of horse racing, not just the betting industry, because of the money that comes from it. Uh, and we've talked again about... about Black, the black market and and the risk of punters migrating mm. to um, other territories to to bet. Yeah. What do you want specifically to say about that this week? Okay. Well, so last time I was on, I think I had a bit of a whinge generally about the you normally gambling. do to be fair. It was, <laughs> the, 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 it was about the gambling commission. To be honest, they do deserve it. I've been quite generous to them in the past, not slagging them off every single time I'm on the program. Uh, because they're a terrible organisation. Uh, this week they, they had um, a, a lady from there made a speech in Denmark uh, where she said that the black market was all exaggerated and that pe uh, people uh, within the gambling industry were trying to sort of make out that it was a big threat. Uh, where do you think the 15% of, of revenue uh, that's gone from uh, 888 William Hill and the, the other drops in revenue from Bet365 and Kindred, where do you think these punters have gone to? They haven't all quit gambling overnight. Uh, I did see James Noyes, he of the uh, £100 uh, threshold for affordability from the Social Market Foundation, the man who kind of started that whole debate. Uh, he was saying that if the industry wants to say that the black market is a big thing, they need to come out with figures uh, to prove that. Well, funnily enough, the black market doesn't report any figures <laughs> on how they're doing. It's a black market. Uh, they're not really uh, making it very clear how well they're doing at the moment. We have to just deduce it from seeing that the official market 
is 15% down. <laughs> now, unless you believe that these people that were betting in the official market that are now not betting with the official market have suddenly decided to give up betting, I'm afraid it does look like the black market. And anecdotally, I just hear all the time about the black market. The bigger players are playing with some offshore firms who are using Google keywords to kind of attract people that sort of non-GAM care bookmakers, not regulated, whatever. Uh, and the sort of intermediate to smaller punters, the kind of 100 quid punters, it's just all WhatsApp bookies. Getting offered WhatsApp bookie accounts all the time from dodgy sources, and, and it's happening more and more. Uh, I think the Gambling Commission... I, I just, I'm just going to say something else. I know they're running out of time. Yeah, six seconds. Seconds. I, I'm just going to quickly say that, I, I, you know, the, the politicians have decided that this policy of affordability is very complex and it's tricky to deal with the balance between the $4.2 billion that the Exchequer get from racing and gambling, uh, specifically from gambling, really, uh, and the jobs that it supports is, is too much at threat by bringing in affordability. They kick the can down the road constantly I don't think it's up to the Gambling Commission to say, well, it's too tricky for the politicians, why don't we just do it? Mm. I think it's important that the, the new Gambling Minister, he should be pulling up the Gambling Commission and saying, look, you, you're, you're rather overreaching, you, you, you don't really have the authority to tell these companies. That's why the companies yeah. want the white paper, because they want the clarity, but they would really like... If, if there's not going to be draconian affordability checks, well, let's get rid of them. We've got them at the moment. It's no good. If you were on question time, you'd have got a clap now. I think I would have done. <laughs> I, I, I heard it. Yeah, no. In my mind, I heard it. <laughs> I, could, yeah, I, I mean, uh, the people that aren't moaning about my T-shirt on Twitter will be saying, that was wonderful. <laughs> Look, if anyone's interested enough to be moaning about your T-shirt on Twitter, we've done extremely well. Tyler Hurd is the latest rider to go abroad in search of a better living. He's gone to America. He says he earned more riding one victory in a claiming race than he did just about for the entirety of last year. This is now becoming quite a common theme, the migration of uh, human talent from the, the Shores page as well as, uh, as equine talent. But is it actually possible as a jockey who is not right at the top of their game to make a half-decent living? Over here? Mm. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I don't think we're probably uh, quite fair, not fairly, I don't think that's the way to say it, but, you know, unless you're at the top, it, you work a very long hours for really hard graft, um, but surely there are lots of professions who are the same, you know, so whether you're a singer or, you know, actor, you know, it's the same if you really are passionate about your job, you kind of, it's not about the money, is it? Um, and also, yes, there's this exodus of talent, but equally, you know, Sophie Doyle went years ago and she did really well. There, are, there have always been jockeys that have gone abroad. Felix Giles, you know, mm. James Reevely. We've always mm. lost jockeys abroad, those people who sit in the middle who just can't get past that barrier. And if you don't have ties here, then great, you know, go and explore your options to see if that progresses you, because there is a bit of a ceiling here. It's hard to be... To get those opportunities, it's not even being the best rider, it's about just having some luck, isn't it? And, you know, yes, prize money is a big issue, but, and, and you probably don't get properly compensated as a rider over here for your day-to-day -day grafting, but, you know, it's kind of what we know. You same when you go into it, you know what you're getting, don't you? 
Uh, and it, it, the point that, that Tyler was making that a few jockeys have made is not so much that the prize money here is so much less, because we know, and that's always going to be the case, it's the cost of being a jockey. Mm. The actual, your overheads mm. are, are quite large. Yes. Yeah, and I, I don't know how you address that, because again, you know, whether you're a builder or whatever, mm. costs are going up, aren't they? So, yeah, and I don't know what the costs over there are. I, I'm so uneducated as to how riding in America works. Well, you don't have to travel as much. That's yeah. the key, isn't it? You yeah. can just sit in one place and ride nine a day, which is... But then that mm. kind of life's not for everybody. I couldn't do eight staying that easily, I can tell you. <laughs> 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 um, this is a, a, a bit of uh, racing arcana, I suppose, but it is kind of uniquely British. The, the Grand Military Gold Cup has changed the conditions for ownership in a bid to get a bigger field. And some people who are military owners or as military personnel lease horses for the day are mm. upset because they feel it's kind of detracting from the, you know, the character of the race. But we need the races to survive, don't we? If we want those military races to exist, they need to have some runners. So how, how have they changed yeah, the rules? Yeah, I didn't hear they changed. Well, so... Because people always send me messages They've about relaxed and them. opened up the, the ownership criteria. So before you had to have been a a serving member yeah. of a regiment or or yeah. previous serving yeah. member of a or you could lease you could I think lease one for the yeah. day. You could lease one. There yeah. still had to be a, a some kind of military connection. I, I think. So now yeah. you just have to have once owned an action man. <laughs> <laughs> is there any sort? Is can anyone own a horse then? Uh, I, it was slightly unclear from the piece that oh. I read, but it's the it's the, the sense yeah. of rela relaxing it to get a bigger field to keep the race, or the race gets fundamentally threatened because it throws up a four or five runner field every year because there aren't enough military personnel to, to own the horses. No, I think Jamie, Jamie's always been someone, Jamie Snowden's well, always yeah, been someone who's, who supports yeah. it all well, the time. Yeah, Luckily, he he's got army. very supportive. Very <laughs> supportive. We've got army people in the yard, so you know he's, he's always found people yeah, to yeah. lease the horses to. Um, but yeah, definitely, they're, they're races that need to be looked after. And actually, you know, if you're leasing them out anyway and they're owned by other people, like, what's, what's the difference? I don't know, yeah. in my opinion. I mean, I, yeah, I think uh, it just needs to be kept going, really. It's just yeah. quite... They've got you, the riders, haven't they? Well, you could still have all the, the pomp and tradition and the guns and everything else, mm. couldn't you, Neil? Mm. And just Lance, Lance oh. Corporal Davy Russell. <laughs> Lance Bombardier, <laughs> Neil Channing. Not me. Yeah. Yeah, I do think, though, it used to be a much... I, I used to really go to Sandown, like, pretty yeah, much yeah. every meeting years ago, and it used to be a much bigger it deal. It was a big thing, yeah. wasn't it? Grand and it really yeah. hasn't been yeah. for some years now, I think. So even you, as a you know our, our resident Marxist... Yeah. Enjoyed the <laughs> enjoyed the traditions of the Grand Military Marxist Day. that ever appears on the sofa. Surely. Well, yeah. ne Neverson's nearly there, and of course, Neverson's <laughs> greatest triumph as an owner was landing a massive touch in the Grand Military Gold Cup. Neverson's—he's just a centrist dad. <laughs> <laughs> right. Those were this week's talking points. <laughs>